Savior come to rescue us all and we all worship him. If you guys have a Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, the letter to Pergamum. And I want to remind us that this is a letter from Jesus, about Jesus, to churches in crisis. And the way that we meet right now, it feels like we are churches in crisis. And so I'm going to ask that those who are here uh, stand with me and pray this prayer that we pray before each one of the Revelation sermons. And this prayer is to remind us that we get to keep the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit God, as the head of our lives for now and forever and ever. And it's also a reminder to us that we just don't want to hear this word. We don't just want to sit here and uh, read it, but we also want to be keepers of God's word, allowing it to impact our lives in the way that we live it. So will you guys please pray with me this prayer, and then I'm going to read the text today. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Blessed are the readers, hearers, and keepers of this word. In Jesus' name, amen. And to the angel of the church of Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Will you you do this part? I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. Uh, You have some there who hold fast to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. You guys may be seated. Remember that Jesus is the one beginning this sentence. He is the one with the two-edged sword. He is the one who comes, who reveals everything to us. He reveals our thoughts, our deeds, our desires. And if you look back in Hebrews chapter 4, you can see that this two-edged sword lays us bare before Jesus. It, It can divide between bone and marrow and flesh. And he speaks in such a way, Jesus speaks in such a way that lets us know that he knows. He knows everything about us. He knows our hearts, our deeds, our thoughts, our desires. He knows what motivates us. But he does it in such a way that we can be confident to go to his throne for all things. And and we can go to him for all things like salvation, for health, for wisdom, for knowledge, and for hope. And this is important to us today as we keep this before us. 
As we get into this, this, this was a, a letter to the church, to the angel of the church in Pergamum. And Pergamum is an interesting place, and I think understanding this place will help us see better what Jesus is trying to speak to us about. If I had to sum up one sentence, what this saying would be, you can remember this, three temples in a library. Three temples in a library. Three temples along with the library help us see our own idols, things that we worship over above Jesus. And I believe that this letter to Pergamum could serve as a real wake-up call or at least a good reminder to us here in the United States in the year 2020. It could serve to show us some of our idols that we are tempted by and some of the idolatry that we fall into. And when we looked at the letter to the church in Ephesus, it teaches us to be tolerant. It teaches us to be tolerant to those who think differently than us, to come at others with a measure of humility and grace. And the church in Pergamum warns us of seemingly the opposite. Though we are to be gracious and kind, we are not, allow, we are not to allow ourselves to be led astray. We are supposed to have limits and not per- permit all things in our lives. Being kind, of, being kind and humble does not mean that we are a doormat or we just get to go along with a society that says all things go or who are you to judge me. Even if we don't judge, we are still discerning. We are still discerning. We get to think and discern what we are supposed to do. And we are not supposed to give in to all the ways that the world can become evil. If we are to keep Jesus first in our lives and not allow anything to become an idol, and an idol is anything that is in the way of Jesus, there are times that we as Christians, we limit ourselves. Limiting our lives to live a life of godliness, not a life of license where we can do whatever we want all the time. We don't partake in the ways of the world. We don't partake in the ways of the world, and worship of Jesus is different than uh, worship of any other being. And we as Christians and followers of Jesus are supposed to be different. Amen? And if we are not different, then we are to repent, to turn away from that and walk closely with Jesus. We also, though, don't want to combine our favorite things with Christ-likeness. And that's an important part to this message. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus We follow him alone, as we'll see. So here we have three temples in a library. The three temples are this, the temple of Zeus, who is seen as the savior of the people. And then you have the the temple of uh, Ascalapius, and I'm not sure I'm saying that right, but he was known as the god of healing. Then you have the, the temple dedicated to Rome, where true patriots would come, the true patriots of the Roman Empire would come and worship. And last but not least, you have one of the largest library, known libraries in the ancient world, full of books and knowledge. Let's start, though, with the temple of Asclepius. This temple was the so-called place of healing and to honor the god of healing. So if you would have had an ailment and you were healed from that ailment, ailment you would go to that temple and you would worship. The people in the region would have gone... Uh, to this place to ask for healing from all sorts of bodily and mental ailments. 
People came there, and when they came there, they put their hope in the healing that would come through the things that the priest instructed them to do. And they would have traveled for miles, believing that this temple was where you found your healing. So that's the temple of Asclepius. Then we have the temple, the Roman temple. And let me say this before we, get, before we go any further. Like, um, all these things are not bad. Healing's not bad, amen? Mental, physical, well-being, it's not bad. Uh, government's not bad. It can actually be very helpful. Um, knowledge isn't bad and being saved isn't bad. So it's, but when we worship these things in place of Christ, that's when it starts to go a different direction. And as we look at the Roman temple, this temple was dedicated to the empirical cult of the day. They would have worshiped the empire. We could say that this is the temple to politics. And we can see here in this country that plenty of people worship uh, politics, but here it was more honest. They actually had a temple that was built and you would have paid your taxes there. You would have heard the latest rules and decrees. You would have had heated debates about what is best for the Roman Empire. And this was mixed with all of their life and it was made into a religion and a place where the most patriotic people in the country came and those who did not were not thought highly of. If you didn't come to the Roman temple ever, you were not thought highly of. In fact, you would have been seen as a not citizen or somebody who doesn't think highly of Rome. And so those who didn't come, it appeared that they didn't care about Rome or love Rome. And politics and empire worship were a big deal in Rome. They loved to come and worship not only the empire, but the emperor as supreme God, even God above Zeus. And, it, and I, I do think that there's some honesty in the way that they did this as they made a temple. Whereas we would never necessarily make a temple in this country. But again, I would, I would suggest that this might be one of those idols. Then as we look at the library... It said that Pergamum has one of the world's largest libraries in the region. So people would have come from far and wide and gone to this library, those that can read, and they would have, uh, they would have read and gained insight and gained knowledge, and they would have, it would have been a great place of learning and teaching. So people would come from far and wide to learn and just to beep and bask in this knowledge. And although it wasn't an explicit place of worship, this was certainly the place where the worship of knowledge would have taken place. The worship of knowing would have taken place in this temple. And last but not least, we'll look at the temple of Zeus. The place of, this is the place where they would have said was the God of salvation. Zeus was the one who could save you. Save you from what? Well, everything. Everything. Foreign armies? Yes. Hail? Yes. Severe drought? Yes. Rainstorms? Yes. Floods? Yes. Everything. He was the God above all, and he could save you from everything. That's what they said. And so if you were saved from a flood or from a famine, you would go and worship at the temple of Zeus. Out of all the Greek gods, Zeus was the one permitted to stay in the Roman culture because he was like the chief god. He was like the head god. He was above all other gods in that society. And since he was a great warrior who could throw, hurl lightning down from heaven, he was deemed the savior and protector of all mankind in that society. At each of these temples, 
at each of these temples, not necessarily the library, but each of these temples, you would have things like sacrifice and offerings. You would come and it would be whatever the priest of that place dictated. These temples would have priests and servants that would go and they would dedicate their entire life to serving in these people, to either serving Rome or serve the God of healing or serve Zeus. And they would have ceremonies, weekly meetings, celebrations that were associated with each one of these temples. And there would have been feasts and, and trade unions would have met there. And these were the temples. They were such an intricate part of their society. They truly were a place of worship, but not just worship. All of their life was wrapped up in these. And at these celebrations, they would offer up food to idols. They would say, Zeus, check out this thing that I cooked you. And then a ceremony would take place in which the the people that were there would eat the meat offered to idols. And I'm assuming that there would be other things such as wine and other alcohols and other foods like fruits and vegetables and different things that were offered as well. And those who came and partook in these servants would partake in the food that was being served. And then not only that, but there was a part of this this, um, thing was there was priests. There was priests that would dictate what it is. So if you went to Ascalapis for healing, he would say, do X, Y, Z, and you would be healed. Because he was the priest. He spoke for Ascalapius. And so he would do these things. And at each of the temples, there were cult prostitutes, both male and female. They were a part of the temple worship. These were folks that offered their body to the altar of whatever God they were serving. So they would go and serve Zeus by offering their body as a prostitute. And there were times that these prostitutes were uh, prescribed by the priest for things like healing, for blessing, and salvation. So in this text, when it offered, when it says, I I know that you have uh, practiced sexual immorality and you've, you've eaten food that is held to idols, this is akin to unfaithfulness to God. This is akin to unfaithfulness to God. There, the other problems that were in Pergamum, especially for the Christians, were those that there were those Christians that followed the Nicolaitans and Balaam. Both of these, Balaam and the Nicolaitans, were permissive teachers. They allowed anything to go. But they also claimed to follow God, even Jesus at times. So they would let you do whatever you wanted and then saying, but I worship Jesus too. And so idol worship was not only okayed, it was oftentimes smiled upon and encouraged as long as it was in combination with a little Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They would have tolerated this to the point where certain people were looked down on if they didn't part, take part in a liberty that someone else had. If somebody could eat food, it says in... Um, Corinthians that some can eat food offered to idols while some can't and they would have said well since I can everybody else can and yet when some other people do it they partake in the whole feast and festivities and they're drawn away from God these things were put in place as a stumbling block to lead you away from Jesus these teachers would encourage cooperation and involvement in the temple along with all the ceremonies and celebrations that would take place 
It's just a part of what we do. It's a part of being a culture. Don't we want to be light in these dark places? That was the rhetoric that they would have been using. But they also would have said, but it's okay that you have Jesus too. It's a, combin- it's a combining of the two. And so you could wilden out at the temples, but then come to Christian church as well. And um, those who didn't participate with the temples were known as the big swear word fundamentals or conservatives or whatever the swear word was of the day for those who wanted to just dedicate their lives fully to Christ. So you have these things like health and politics, knowledge and salvation from woes of this world. Some of these things were blended as a part of being a part of culture with the worship of Jesus, just as it is in our day. Pergamum was extremely tolerant society, allowing the residents to worship as their conscience or whims dictated. And so people would come to this city, be saved or healed by other gods, just as we go places or go to other ideas than Jesus for these same things. This is something that we need to pay attention to. Let me say it this way. Hospitals aren't bad. Amen. Doctors aren't bad. Amen. Medicine isn't bad. Amen. Knowledge isn't bad. Amen. Like salvation from all the things that we talked about, feast and uh, or, or famine and, and rain and weather and all these things, they're not bad in and of themselves. But when we place them in a higher place than Jesus, we are falling into sin. If we put politics and our, our party over Christ, this is a dangerous place to be in and something that as we look at politics, as we look at health and as we look at certain things, we just have to pay attention that Christ is always above and before these things. At times, we combine Christ with many of these ideas. At times, we are too permissive. By the way, we can show love and grace for those that we don't want to live like them. We don't want to be like the ways of other people. We can show love and grace and still not necessarily affirm their lifestyle, still believe that there's a better lifestyle. But yet, in the midst of that, we can affirm their worth and dignity. We can love them. But we don't have to agree with everything that everybody does. So here in our our culture, as well as Pergamum, we have false saviors, false ideas of what salvation means. We have false healers. We have false ideas. We have false truths in our culture that if we're not careful, we are tempted to buy into. That, that, That in this, there is a lack of reliance on Christ. False prophets, false teachers, false hopes, false blessings All of these things are meant to distract and detract us and take us away from Christ. These are stumbling blocks to listening, speaking, and doing the works of Jesus that he has for us. Let me say it this way. The throne of Satan is trying to keep us from following Jesus. The throne of Satan is trying to keep us from always following Jesus. And he does so cleverly because it's always... Uh, the best lies always have a little bit of truth, a shred of truth in them. Money's not bad, but we don't worship it. Politics isn't bad, but we don't worship them. And if, say, if Satan can allow 
um, a little bit of Jesus instead of what Jesus wants, all of us, and Jesus just to come in second place to any other good thing, then Satan is winning. Then he is keeping the idols before Jesus and therefore remaining, keeping them to remain as idols. And the truth is that I do want to be careful because we can think deeply, live passionately about, excuse me, any of these issues. I'd argue that as Christians, we need to think deeply and live a life in prayer about all of these issues. But we need to be careful not to put our favorite issues on the level of Christ. Not to rely on our issues, but rather rely on Jesus. To not get our hope or our faith wrapped up in anything other than Christ in our lives. There are those of us, and I would include myself, these these idols are mine too. Maybe not the politics one, but the other ones. There are those of us who worship health. Whether it be exercise or good diet, there are times, however when health can become our measure of godliness. And if you don't believe me, introduce yourself to a vegan. They were the biggest proselytizers in the world. Vegetarians are much the same way. Healthy living and eating is good, but it won't sustain us. It won't give us more breath at the end of the day. They may help us and allow us to feel better, But we need to recognize that Jesus is the giver of all life and all breath. And we rely on him for our health and our sustenance. We need to remember this. And then act as those who are wise, not as those who are unwise. And then there are those of us who worship or get over anxious about politics. No political figure, no candidate... No political changes or policy changes can bring the peace or give the hope that we long for. None of it. There might be good ideas, there might be bad ideas, but none of it can bring the peace and give the hope that we long for. No party has it totally right or totally wrong. No party will will give us our hope or our salvation that we so desperately long for. Our hope is to be found in Christ. Amen? Our peace is to be found in Jesus, not the combination of Jesus plus the right policy or Jesus plus the right candidate. It's not a combination. It is in Christ alone where we find our place of worship. And there are some of us, and this, is, this may be my, my big one, who need to have or gain just a little bit more knowledge, just a little bit more knowledge to have right living. If I could just figure X, Y, Z out, then I'm going to have right living. Or if I just, I'm going to include knowledge here. If I could just have the right science behind it, then I will have right living. And that's not true. That's not true. No amount or set of knowledge will allow us to live holy, a holy life. A life that is centered on Christ. If our, our life is not hidden in the knowledge or things that we know or the things that we place our trust in, our life is hidden in Christ and it isn't dependent on what we know. It's dependent 
on the fact that we are trying to get to know Jesus with all of our lives. And there are those that think our salvation will come from our offerings or sacrifices. They'll come from the good things that we do. They could even be religious things given to Jesus, but fulfill our own need and desire. Salvation doesn't come from anything other than Jesus. Grace is unearned and undeserved favor from God through Christ Jesus. His death, burial, and resurrection give us new life. Our sins are forgiven. Our righteousness is made complete in Him. And His kingdom is over against any other man-made kingdom. And our souls are cleansed by Jesus' sacrifice and His offerings, not ours. And yet we still get sacrifice and give offerings to Christ. One theologian said, the challenge for the accommodationist or those who link up two things The challenge for the accommodationist is to cease and repent for the faithful and for the faithful to hold fast. We follow Jesus. We follow his kingdom over against any man-made kingdom. And when we follow in Christ, then we don't need to go to these idols. We don't need to set them above every other created thing. We have given them up. We've given them to Jesus, and we live on what this text calls hidden manna. We have our motivations and our affections stirred by Jesus, not by the idols that are tempting us. This food that we get is different. And I've preached about this time and time again. What may look weak is our strength. What may look boring and dull to some, oh, look at all that you're missing out on, is a full life in Christ to us. Our limits that, are, that we subject ourselves to are our act of worships that we give, not because we have to, but because we get to, and in that they are an act of joy. Jesus said while taking a woman, the woman at the well, that he has Food that others don't know about. This is spiritual food. We get our joy from Jesus and we follow him. Jesus is our food. And as we learn to die to ourselves, we become alive in Christ. And this is far greater than any feast or celebration known to man. We get to repent from our temptation to synchronize our Jesus with something else. We get to turn away from the things that we are tempted by and follow Jesus. And in this, we are given a new name. We are given new righteousness. Our sins are forgiven and our lives are absolutely changed. We no longer, here's the thing as Christians, we no longer live for ourselves or our little G-gods. We now live for Jesus in each and every way of our lives. This white stone that Jesus gives us is a new name. He calls us holy. Where once we were maybe seen as dirty, he says we're clean. Where once we had sin, we have no sin. We are called sinless. He takes his righteousness and gives it to us in exchange for our filthy rags. White throughout the book of Revelation is a symbol for purity and wholeness. He gives us his purity and his wholeness. And I pray, church, that we will let go and give up of ourselves 
that we will give up our own desires and wants. And in that, we will follow Jesus. And I pray that we will set aside our love of health, our love of politics, our love of knowledge, and follow Jesus, not blending the two together. I pray that our hope may be found in Christ and in Christ alone. And I'll say this because it's 2020 and it's a political year. It's a deeply political year. It seems like every time a presidential election comes, we're just in this deep cycle. Our hope and our salvation doesn't come from voting. Please vote your conscience. Please vote and pray about it and pray for those who are going to be in our office. It is good to vote and we are free to do it. But remember who our Savior is. Remember who our Savior is. We are patriots of Jesus' kingdom to come, not the United States. So Jesus, I pray that we may come before you, that we may fall on our knees and worship you. Lord, where we have things blended with the worship of you, that we can set them aside and worship you and you alone. That Lord, as we're reminded of three temples and a library, that none of that stuff satisfies like you do. None of it sustains like you do. So let us give up those things and follow you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.